Honestly, I didn't know that worship would involve so much, including your, your Monday through Friday, your, especially money, which is something tied to the whole of your life. But I've been learning so much in myself and being convicted, and I hope that this also will become a broadening experience of worship for you. So far, we've discovered that worship is more than just a song. We sang a lot of songs, and it felt amazing, but that's just one a part of worship. That worship is more than a set time. It's not just 11.15 on a Sunday at church, but it's every day in every way because we're to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's not just Sunday at 11.15 with a praise team. Worship is so much more. To give God holy, acceptable, pleasing worship is going to require a lot more. And we've been learning that the fact is God is telling us to be wise with what he has given you. The, the wealth that you have is something that God has allowed for you to use no longer for itself as the end. All of us, the world is in a place where money is the end of all. We live and fight, get sick, get stressed out. We we, 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 we study, we, we grind day and day for money. But God is saying, be delivered from that. He's saying, now use the money to serve God instead. And invest yourself for something that will not be destroyed and become worthless with this world that is perishing. And that's called being generous, especially to those in need. And thank you, Sang, for bringing that beautiful prayer request about the brother Kalani that he just noticed. And it was something that was stirring in him. You know, and God is inviting all of us to find ways that we can become a tool, use money as a tool to uplift others instead of money as the main goal for our life. The reason is this. Jesus in Luke 16, 10, 11, he says, whoever, this is right before he says, you cannot serve both God and money. You will either hate one or love the other. You cannot serve both. Right before he says that, Jesus says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? God's desire for you is for you to prosper but his, his will for you is to become trusted because he wants to give you something bigger than you could ever imagine or dream of an influence and a power ability to bring the kingdom of God in, in, the, in the parts of the world that you can never imagine but it, it, it starts with you entrusting being entrusted with the worldly riches what will you do with your money again money is not the issue making money is not the issue God wants you to make money but it's for what that will determine whether you worship in holy way or worship in a very lacking in a way. So today in our passage, the Lord continues in this topic. Again, God, one out of four things he talked about was money because he knew how important money was for us and how we have to learn in a new way, not like the world, to live for money and die for money, but to use the money for heaven's purpose. He talks about it and he says this, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body also is full of darkness. Now we know, we've been hearing, hearing this passage many, many times, that phrase, when your eyes are healthy, your eyes are unhealthy, is basically their way of saying, when you are generous. When you are generous, your whole body is full of light. It, it, it echoes what he says in Matthew 5, 16. How do you shine the light of God? By the good works you do unto others, they will glorify God. It, it, this, is, this is a no-brainer. This is what Jesus is not talking about physical healthy. He's talking about be generous. 
But if you're stingy, if your goal in life is to store up the treasure, again, it's not wrong to have treasure, but if your goal is to store it instead of invest it and give it to the work of God, then you are full of darkness. And then he goes on to the place where he's eating with the Pharisees, and he looks at the Pharisees, and he says something very, 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 very exposing. He says, the Lord said to the Pharisees, Now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. The problem here is with the Pharisees is this. They're just as sinners as everybody else, but their problem was they hid their trouble. But what was inside that the Lord was displeased with is greed and wickedness. And then verse 41, he says something very important. How do you deal with the greed and wickedness that you and I have? That, that naturally all of us are greedy. Naturally all of us, our hearts are prone to wickedness without the help of the Holy Spirit, without the blood of Jesus. We are sinners. We're left to die. But how can we be free of that? Jesus says, verse 41, but now as for what is inside you, how can I be clean? Just come and cry to Jesus, sing songs and pray songs, go to Bible study? No. Be generous for the poor and everything will be clean for you. Jesus knows very well that the love of money is the root of all evil. It's what destroys marriages, relationships, life, and the world. But God is saying, be clean from that by being different than the world. Be generous. Give. Do not live to store wealth, but use it to multiply. And we learned last week that God is pleased to give you more and more and more. He wants you to abound in generosity. That you doing generous things, God's like, oh, that was beyond my budget. No, God is happy to trust you with more. You can never outgive. You can never be too generous for God to say, I'm going to bless you with more. I'm going to bless you with more light. Read Isaiah 58 on what is true fasting. It is all about this. This, what he says in four, verse 41, is everything, is reflecting everything we talked about already. When in Luke 12, he says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you provide for yourselves purses that do not destroy and treasures in heaven. And in Acts 20, verse 35, again, Paul, when they were asked to Paul, Paul, what's the most important message to the church? He says, In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help ourselves. No, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Again, Hebrews 13, 15, that, that we have to not forget to, to do good and to share with others with such sacrifices God is pleased. So again, worship is so much tied to whether you are generous or not in your life. I can go on and on and on, but that is how you respond to God. If you have been blessed, if you have been loved, the way you love is not just in your heart, oh, bless your heart. No, it's how you give what you have. If it's how you lay down, make available your gifts and your time and your availability for those that are less, that, that even do not deserve your love according to your standards. And again, the beauty of it is we're gathered here as a church. There's something that you can do on your own, but there's something God is calling us as corporation, as a body to do that will magnify his work. All of these things about being generous, it's not just for individuals, it's for the church. We have to examine how have we as a community been generous with what we have. Finally then, the Lord goes on to say this about the Pharisees again. He points out something that's very interesting. He says to the Pharisees, woe to you Pharisees. 
because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all the other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. I like how Matthew chapter 23 adds this thing in the parentheses when he talks about the justice and love of God. He says how you neglect the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Friends, in this passage, I picked it as our primary passage because we're talking about something. I wanted us to talk about how, last week, remember how when we were saying be generous, how one of the ways that we do it, yes, in your own life, do it. Like Sang brought up, the, the man of Kalani, whatever is within your reach, your family, your, your friends, bless them, right? Live a generous life. Give it. Don't store it. Just invest, invest, invest. Let the, and sow the seed and see the harvest of righteousness. But there is something that we have, we have to see in the scripture that people have been doing and are still doing today for the church of God to do the work of God. And it's this thing I put in the red letters, a tenth, a tithe. I want to talk about how the people of God have been called by God to give in such a way that will bring about the justice and the love of God. See, in our passage, Jesus is not telling, Jesus is number one, saying that I am glad that you are tithing, but just tithing is not enough. You have to now not just give to the church and just forget about it, but you have to live your life in justice and for the love of God. So it's not an either or. Can I just give to the church and somebody else will do the work of God? That's really convenient, right? A lot of times, honestly, that's how we see the church sometimes. We just give an offering and then somehow the Lord will do the work. And the truth is, yes, like I said, even though you never fed anyone in the slums of India, you did it when you gave to our church. You, even though you never went to China and discipled children, you did it when you gave to our church. But that's not enough. That's only a part of it. You have to live your life. But it's important to think both we have to do both. So ask yourself today, what is tithe? I want to talk about tithe. Because number one, I needed to know what is the tithe, right? I do it, and I know it's important, but what is a tithe? In order to talk about tithe, the first thing about tithe is that it's a sign of faith in God. And who is responsible for this idea of tithe? Did God prescribe it, or did it come from somewhere else? Here is the one. Who is this guy? Abraham. I like this picture. He's like, what the heck, God? <laughs> Literally, because he is a person who just blindly trusted in God, right? In so many, every, I think he had this face towards God many times in his life. Like, really, God? <laughs> I am believing in you and blah, 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 blah. But here's the man of faith, Abraham. He is responsible for what we know as tithe. What happened with Abraham is this story. You might know the story that Abraham and Lot, remember when God told him to leave your father, your everything, and just go to the land I, told, I, I, have, I, I will show you. He didn't tell him where, when, or how. He just said go, and he just went, trusting in God. And remember, as soon as they did that, God started blessing him. And then the problem was he and his uh, nephew Lot, they went together, and their home, their, their household became too big, right? Their, their, their farmers and their... Um, you know, uh, shepherds were fighting against each other because, you know, their animals were going all over the place. So Abraham and Lot said, you know what, Abraham? Uh, he said to Lot, choose which way you want to go. And Lot said, I'm going to go east to the plains of Jordan. And, and then Abraham said, fine, I'll go west. But did you know that as soon as Lot went into that territory where Sodom and Gomorrah is, 
he ran into trouble. That land for 12 years was in a contention. There were kings, groups of kings fighting, and a certain team of kings was holding this other group of kings and their people subject. And right around the time that Lot went there, it was a time of rebellion. Finally, those people and subjects said, you know what, we've had enough, we're going to fight. And so the big war breaks out, and what happens is Lot and his family gets caught, and his team loses. So he gets picked out of the uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. He loses his house, he loses everything, and the kings that win have taken them to their land. And as soon as this is happening, somebody escaped that horror and went to Abraham and said, Abraham, your, your nephew Lot and the people of Sodom have been defeated and they are now being taken by the kings. And what does Abraham do? He, out of compassion, takes 318 trained men, not, not a lot, but he goes and, and he, with faith in God, goes after those kings and guess what? By the help of God, he destroys them. And he brings every good, every material, and people back to the land. And as he has this amazing victory, it says a strange passage happens in Genesis 14. You can read about Genesis 14, the whole story, uh, in your own time. But in verse 18, after Abram had just gone, done this miraculous victory, outnumbering kings, remember there's four kings and their armies, and 318, and he was able to out, oust them. It says, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. Right there, a couple of things very interesting. Melchizedek is a very interesting person in the scripture. No one knows where he came from. No one knows whether he died or not. And also the fact that he brought bread and wine. He was also a king, but also a priest. And what's more interesting is in Hebrews 7, if you go to it, Hebrews 7, the writer points back to this time and connects Melchizedek to Jesus. It's not the first time that God appears in the flesh to people, but in this time, this was one of the early moments where Abraham, he trusted, because he, God said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and you're going to be a blessing to all nations. And when, when, when Abraham in faith was able to go make this victory, it seems like God himself comes. And what does he do? Verse 19, he blessed Abraham saying, Blessed be Abraham by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. He gets a special blessing. Here's just an artistic rendition of this. There's Abraham and there's this Melchizedek, a king and priest, who's very mysterious with the fact that he brought bread and wine, like we're going to talk about today, kind of makes you think, okay, I think that is God himself, Jesus himself, who has come to, to validate, again, Abraham, I am your God. And what's interesting, after he gets blessed, this is what it says in verse 20. It says, then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. That's tithe. So tithe technically is not a thing that Moses started. It's something that started 430 years even before that because of a man named Abraham who believed in God and through giving him a tenth was declaring at that time, God, you are my God. Now, it's very interesting. This idea of tenth of everything is not something that Abraham created. In fact, some people talk about this as being something that was taught by his father, Shem, and who learned from Abel, who learned from Adam and Eve. If you look at actually the way that these people lived, they lived so long that even though they were great, great, great children, they were alive. I think Abraham was alive in the time that I think... Uh, 
who was the third one? Noah. Yeah, Noah was, was, was about to pass away. So you can, anyways, there's a lot to this. But the important thing is, in, even in this time in the, in the neighboring countries, giving a tenth meant that it's something you give to the work of God. It's something you give only to God. It represents that this, whoever you give a tenth to, is your God. It was how you showed your faith in who God is. And Abraham recognized this King Melchizedek as the very God who told him, Abraham, go to the land I'll show you, and I'll bless you, and your name will be great, and you, you will be a blessing to all nations. Now, how do you know this is true? Because right after this happens, look what happens. The king of Sodom, the guy that just got his, uh, uh, he got his uh, how do you say it? Got his, uh, I don't want to say it in a bad way, but he got his, he was, he was defeated, but this Abraham came and literally rescued him, right? So king of Sodom is saying so much thankful because he literally lost everything to these opposing kings. He lost his uh, people. He lost all of his goods. He, had, he was literally homeless and just nobody, but Abraham brought everything back. And then he says to Abraham, thank you. He says, give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. Friends, right there, that is an amazing offer. Keep the goods for yourself. What king of Sodom is saying, you know what? Abraham, thank you. Whoever your God is, thank you. Thank him. Thank you for saving me, but it's so awesome. You know, I'll just take the people, the, my people, and we'll go and establish everything. But you can keep the entire goods, meaning an entire goods of a nation. Think about the billions and millions of dollars of worth of goods and treasures was offered to Abraham. If you were Abraham, what would you do? You would say, wow, thank you. Thank God, this must be God's blessing. But look what, it, look what he says in verse 22. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, With raised hand I have sworn an oath to God, to the Lord God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abraham rich. You know what's amazing in this passage? Abraham was certain who his God was. If Abraham were like a jet, like, like most of us were, you know, kind of sometimes going with honesty, we sometimes go between God as God and then money as God. You know, sometimes we serve God, but a lot of times we serve, serve money. And we're like, you know, kind of confused and we don't know. It's like, it's really difficult. Our hearts are deceitful of all things. God has mercy on us. But Abraham said, no, 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 no. I know who is my God. I just gave a tenth of everything to mark this Jesus, future Jesus, this God, this mysterious God who's, this is the, who's the only God. I'm going to serve him, and I'm not going to let anybody else say that they were a blessing to me. Meaning he was not willing to bow down to the wealth of the world. His, his goal in life was not to serve, to make money become his God. So this becomes the precedent, the first mention of tithe, which simply through tithing, Abraham said, he is my God. So when we give our tithe, it is our sign of faith of us saying that God is my provider and this is the God that I serve. So, that, so giving a tenth of everything is a practice of faith where we say that our God is not money, is not the world, our employers, we thank God for them. But our money, our livelihood comes from God who gives me life, who gives me the power, the energy, and he gives me the day and the allotted time. It all, all the credit goes to God. That's what tithe is. Now, after this thing, after, after here we realize that Abraham 
had a test of his faith, right? In this moment, he could have said, wow, I think waiting on this mysterious God to, to bless me is okay, but I think this side thing, this other option is good. There was a temptation for him to hold on to that, but through tithing, he said, no, I will go God's way. It was an expression of love. It was an expression of his allegiance to who God is. Simply tithing honors your faith in who, in, in who God is in your life. What else is the tithe? So moving beyond that, there was, not a, there was no more reference of tithing until later. The second purpose that we'll see is that tithe was given to build up God's house. So number one, tithe is a personal statement of faith. It's how you say in your life, who is God? And for us, just like the Pharisees, we're in very danger of being, you know, having to discern, are we going to serve God or are we going to serve money? It is so, it's such a real temptation. We cannot just ignore it. No one of us can say, you know what, money doesn't affect me. No, it does. So all of us have an opportunity, just like Abraham, to say, you know what, I know 10% is so much. Honestly, when I give 10%, it hurts, <laughs> right? I'd rather use that for a lot of other things, right? Feed my kid or whatever, you know, send him to preschool. But in my heart, I have to realize, no, 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 I don't want to give into the temptation of thinking that something else is sustaining me. Through my tithe, I say, God, you are my God. You're my sustainer. That's a personal thing. Secondly, tithe is used to build God's corporate house. Tithe, therefore, has a personal, private use and also a, a public and corporate function. Here it is. Where did this begin? This is the Israelites who, because of Abraham's faith, later were in search of the promised land. And in the, in the time of Moses, 430 years after Abraham, what you see here is this. You might, you might know this, but how did God fulfill his promise to Abraham? Because remember, God said, I'm going to make you, Abraham, a nation, a great nation. So part of leading the Israelites through the desert was part of God fulfilling it, right? And even now, Jerusalem is God's people, and we, by the grace of Jesus, have been included. We've been adopted into the family of God. We are now the nation of God, but literally the nation of God that was forming was formed, and he needed something. He needed people who will build this house, because the people of God, what made them unique was that the presence of God was with them, right? If you take God out of the Israel, they're, they're just like any other nation. But what made Israel, what makes you and I different is God is with us. So think about it. It says that originally the firstborn sons were the priests of this Jewish nation. God needed priests to build this people that were built by faith, right? These people of Israel are not known for their race, their physical ethnicity. They're known for their faith. Father Abraham is his name. The faith that Abraham had, resisting every other temptation, is the same faith. But look at what happened. So remember, remember the final thing that they were able to, the ten, the ten plagues that happened? The last one was the firstborn of the Egyptians were all killed, animals and people. But in the Jewish family, when they put the lamb's blood in the Passover, all of the uh, firstborn were saved. God basically told the Israelites, Israelites, I'm, I'm your God. I'm going to deliver you. I will send you to the promised land. I'll make your name great. And through you, the world will be blessed. But to do that, I'm going to take the firstborn that I saved, and I'm going to make them mine. And he took all the first ones that were saved and made them work in the temple, which was the most important place. That's where you could meet with God. That's where you could hear with God, hear from God, be led by God, right? But what happens? Golden calf. 
as Moses is out up in the, in the mountains for 40 days, getting the, uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the people start uprising. They start losing faith and start saying, Moses is fake. This Yahweh is cuckoo. Let's make our own God. And Aaron, Aaron gets, kind of gets caught up in this. And he says, okay, fine, bring all your gold. And they make a golden calf. And God was very displeased. He says uh, in Exodus 32, they have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. It's always been that struggle, guys. Who is your God is the determining question that will either lend you in the blessing or in the curse of sin. In your life, who is God? Again, is the question that we have to answer. So, what does what does God do? He says, "You know what?" He says in this. So he okay. So in that moment, he brings judgment. He kills the people who led all this. And one thing he did in that moment here, it says in, in Numbers, he says this. He chooses a different group of priests. These people, this is just a picture, but he gets rid of all the firstborn. He says, "All of you guys were complicit in this idol worship." I don't want you anymore. You have betrayed me. And he chooses the Levites. Now, who are the Levites? Here we go. It says, they are the Israelites who are to be given wholly to me. I have taken them as my own in place of the firstborn. You see that? The firstborn were the priests that helped the people become a nation. They served in the temple. They helped reconcile to God and all these things. And then they betrayed God. They worshiped other gods. So they were gone. And now God said the Levites. The first, uh, and he says, verse 18, and I have taken the Levites in place of all the firstborn sons in Israel. Why the Levites? Because the Levites were, there were 12 tribes of Israel, right? I don't know all their names, but it's something like, uh, I don't know if you guys, some of you guys know it better than me. I cannot think right now. Um, Manasseh, Judah, uh, gosh, Dan, Issachar. All this, I, I did a play when I was in third grade. I forgot the name. I was Dan. I was a tribe of, I was, I was, I was Dan. But I wasn't Levi. But Levi was one of the tribes. But the entire tribe of Levites saw what they're doing with the golden calf. And they, the leader of Levi, Levi himself said, we're not doing that. So these Levites were out of the 12 tribes. Everybody said, you know what? Forget God, right? He's not our God anymore. We're tired of following this God that keeps us going around and gives us manna and, and quail to eat. We're going to worship this golden God, right? This money, this, this symbol of wealth. We're going to worship just like every other nation's do. But the Levites said, no, 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 no. We're going to be faithful to God. We're going to keep our faith. And God says, I like that. Give me the Levites. And he says, Levites, you get the privilege of becoming closest to me. You get to walk into my presence, and you get to become the priests of my nation. And he says in verse in number 9, he says, From among the, all the Israelites, I have given the Levites as gifts to Aaron and his sons to do the work at the tent of meeting on behalf of the Israelites and to make atonement for them so that no plague will strike the Israelites when they go near the sanctuary. So kind of like the pastors, the, the full-time ministers, the staff of the church, it's kind of like the Levites. We do the work of leading the community of God. That's what the Levites were. And then in Numbers 18, this is where the tithe reappears. God says, I give to the Levites all the tithes in Israel as their inheritance in return for the work they do while serving at the tent of meeting. So the Levites had to make a, 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 a change. They had to let go of all their inheritance. Every possession they had, they threw it away and said, we're wholly given to God. 
And then now, the way that they survive, this is, we're talking about thousands of people, how were they supposed to survive? By the tithe of the other tribes. So everyone else gave a tenth of everything they had and it was given to the Israel, the Levites who had no other means of income while they were doing the 24-7 work of the temple work. For the, you know, the temple work was not easy. For us as pastors, we just have an hour and a half service and we just go. But these guys are 24-7. Imagine a million people wanting to bring a million sacrifice. That's a lot of work. It's a lot of cutting. That's a lot of cleaning, a lot of burning. <laughs> they had no time to do any other means of income. So God said, give them the tithe. What is the same heart behind it? In this thing, in, in, in bringing out this tithe, what the Lord is doing, he's instating again that the, he wants the people of God to recognize that through the tithe, they're saying we belong to God. Because by giving the, to the tithes to the Levites, they were saying, we want to follow what God is doing. We want to follow, we want to listen to what God is saying through the Levites. Giving to the Levites was the way that they gave to God. A lot of things to say, a lot of blah, blah, blah. But here it is, the final point. We see tithe reappear a third time in the Bible, and it's in the last book of the Old Testament. And it's not a happy book. If you read Malachi, go home and try to read it. It's a word of judgment. Because the people of God who were supposed to have their faith in God, guess what? It, won't, it didn't stop with the golden calf. For thousands of years, they kept on rebelling. They could not put their faith in God. They kept on failing. And then God said, I'm going to judge you. So Malachi has some items of judgment. But one of them is talking about, one of them is talking about, they were, they were accepting divorce as norm. They, start, they, they became uh, uh, lazy with their sacrifice to God. And finally, they became uh, guilty of stealing from God. It says this, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me. That's the, that's the key. Tithe is the way that we say to God, God, you are God. I know in this life there's so many temptation and there's, it's hard to follow you, God, but we want to return to you. And then the people ask, how are we to return to you? This is what God says. Will a mere man rob God? Yet you rob me, but you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you're under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Friends, God is addressing the problem of the Israelites. Their faith had gone. They're supposed to follow God into blessing, but they kept on failing. And one of the signs was that they stopped giving tithes and offerings to God. Why? Because it is a substantial 10% or more tithes and offerings. There were other five offerings that they had to give each time they sinned. It became so tiring. But what happened is that whole nation became under a curse. Friends, this is not God saying, I want money. This is God saying, I want your heart. Your heart has left me, and this is how you show that in your lack of tithes and offerings. Finally, God says this. He reveals why he wants the tithe. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouses, that there may be food in my house, my house meaning the temple. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not enough room to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. God is someone who wants to bless us beyond our imagination because he has called us, again, to be, a, to be blessed, to be a blessing. But that cannot happen unless we fulfill our end 
of the agreement of worshiping him as God. Then, the na- then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. So the big question today is tithe. Is it for today? Now again, unless you understand the meaning of tithe, that it was how we show our faith in God, it will not make sense. And for us, actually, today, you know, if you, if you th- look at the scripture, it is actually more than the tithe, right? Because when Jesus says, give to God what is God's and to Caesar what is Caesar's, we clearly know he means a tithe, but we also know he means all of our life. So the right answer is yes and more. It's not just 10%, because honestly, when I read that scripture, I was guilty. Like the Pharisees, sometimes I thought, I give a tenth, so I'm done, right? I think I did my part. But I didn't realize God is saying, no, 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 I want the rest of your life. Remember, it's not just the tithe, but you have to be caring about the love of God and the justice. Friends, the same thing that the tithe was in the, ba- in the past is the same today. It is still for us a sign of our faith in God. That when we take the money that we work so hard to, to, to earn, and it's so important and needed in our life, and we say, God, I give you the best in the first 10% to God. What we are saying, God, I don't trust in this money. I trust in you. I want to worship you as God because it is so easy for me to worship money, pure and simple. It's a test. Every time I give a 10%, it's a wrestle, of course. But it's an opportunity for me to win in that battle like Abraham did and say, my tithe is to God. And secondly, that tithe didn't just disappear into the air, but it built the house of God. Back then, it was a temple. No longer do we have the Levites, but today, the temple is this, is our community in the, in the New Testament, when the churches first formed, people started selling homes, giving more than just 10%. Why? Because there are people needy in the community, and they loved each other. They loved God. They wanted to do the work of God so much that generosity was exponentially uh, expressed. I just have a quick thing. Um, too many verses. I'm just going to skip them. So again, going back to what the Lord says today, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint and root and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. God does not say, forget the tithe. No, no, no. He honors tithe because he knows he honors his servant Abraham. Abraham did something so powerful in that moment. He said, I reject the wealth of the world because my wealth comes from God. And his blessing is greater. That's a, that's a big faith step that you take. Every time we do tithe is important. But God is saying, I want your whole life to be generous. I want you to be concerned with the justice and the love of God. So friends, yes, it's a sign of our faith. And yes, it is how we build God's ministry, his house. Because through the church, the church is built by our tithes and offerings. And how the Lord works through this community is God's will. Friends, when we talk, let's talk practically, right? In our community, you've, you've heard John and I talk about, uh, for many, many con- congregational meetings, about 80% of our uh, budget, right, comes from what? 20%, right? Of minority people. And uh, those are the people, actually, their giving is a substantially part of it is their tithing. Right? Because it is the faith of God that moves mountains, that multiplies the little that we have. You know, honestly, if, if, if uh, some people have said, Pastor Ingo, I don't think you have to do tithe anymore. You know, because in the New Testament, they gave everything. Then I'll say, okay, then give everything. But that's not practical, right? We shouldn't live in a reckless life where we say to God, God, I give you everything, so you have to give me everything. We don't, we don't want to force God into miracle, but all of us, the part of tithe that's beautiful is that the little that we give becomes multiplied and to do the greater works that we have. Friends, 
I want us today at the end of this discussion of worship to take a moment and to look at your faith in God right now. Can we uh, take a moment to pray? Praise team, you can come up as we prepare for the communion. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the one like Abraham. Today we're going to take communion. And this is an opportunity and very important for us to be remembered on who Christ is. Friends, we no longer are obligated to do anything in the law by obligation, right? But we are doing what we do because of an expression of thanks and expression of gratitude to God. No longer is worship something that God demands. God is not here telling you today, give me your tithes and offerings. <laughs> give me, do this, do that. No, no, no. Jesus has already completed the work, but now you and I get to, be, get to partner with him and say, God, I freely give this so that by faith you will use this to the work that you have. Friends, in no, in no, in no sense, in no uh, 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 principle, is, is, are we saying that you have to give your tithes and offerings to the church? Give where God says to give. And I believe that us being here, we're saying that, Lord, we're believing that in this community, we want to see you do, do an amazing work. That's why we're here. If your heart, if your tre where your treasure is, there your heart is. One of the ways that we say, God, we want to pray and we want to give our love is the way we give. So today as we do the communion, I want you to be reminded of an opportunity you have to say to God, God, my life is not mine. At the heart of worship, that's what it comes down to. It's understanding, Lord, everything that I am and I have is you. And you are my God. And we betray God so many times. We are so deceived by wealth. We are so weak. And the Lord knows that. And he says, don't worry. You're not guilty anymore. You're not under condemnation. I took care of that. I want you to take the courage to now that you are righteous, live in righteousness. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So, Father... As we come and take the communion today, we want to offer ourselves once again to your call, just like you called Abraham into a life that he could never imagine, into a destiny and a purpose, into a meaningful life that literally changed the world. You're calling us the same faith. God, when I look at myself, I, I don't have much. I have nothing to give. But Lord, you're saying, give me what you have. Put it into my hands. And I pray that, Lord, as we live a life of worship in this way, let us see the miracles that only you can do. So help us today to see Jesus. Help us today to worship Jesus with our tithes and our offerings, representing our faith and our allegiance to you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have the slides up for us. The Lord Jesus, on the eve of his death, fellowship with his disciples by sharing a meal with them. Taking the bread, he gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them with these words. Take, eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup gave thanks to you, Father, gave it to his disciples and said, 
drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. I can yeah, go to the next slide. At this time, those of you who are in the cry room, please come down.